Greetings, travelers! Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your hosts, Fox and Sparrow. Hello, travelers, and happy belated New Year! This is uh, the first episode of the year where both Fox and I are back in the recording uh, studio is, I guess. I don't know. But we're both back recording together, <laughs> and we've got another tale for you today. Um, but first, Fox, happy New Year. Did you have a good uh, New Year? I did. I did not have a good January. I was sick, and I think everyone is sick recently. I feel like I've seen so many memes and TikToks of people making fun of how everyone's coughing like crazy. But I'm hoping now that it's February that I'll be on the... What do you say? On the mend? On the mend, yes. I, I don't know. I can't even... I don't even excuse <laughs> if I don't know English anymore because I don't even speak German properly. Um... <laughs> But now I'm hoping that because it's February, I'll be on the mend, and I hope everyone else is also on the mend. I know that there is um, respiratory viruses, COVID, the flu, everything is going around right now. So take care of yourselves and listen to our podcast while you're in bed sick. The Tales from the Shan Forest a podcast has not been proven not to make you feel better, but it has not not been proven to make you feel better. So maybe you can just give it a listen while you're trying to recover. <laughs> is it more or Any- less beneficial than Icelandic moss syrup, which is what I was given? So, how did that taste? It didn't taste like anything bad. It just had like a sweet, sugary taste to it. But I don't know if it actually did anything or if it was like a placebo effect where I was like, oh, this tastes fine. Um, Interesting. But I mean, you never miss pharmacies and stuff more than when you move away from North America. And I know, I know, we're not supposed to be taking. Um, Advil and stuff all the time. We shouldn't be taking medication willy nilly. But there are some times when you just want an extra strength like cough syrup and you can't find one. (laughs) Instead, you have to take things like thyme tea or Icelandic moss or like a nasal spray that has eucalyptus. And you're like, I just want medication. Yes, um, it's been an interesting time, but I am glad to hear you're you're getting better uh, with uh, a various uses of um, with holistic devices. But so besides being sick, because we know that was your big thing you were into last year as we ended off uh, the season. <laughs> Plot twist. It's still my thing of this year. Uh, has there anything else that's new that you've been into that you want to share? I don't know if I already talked about this. I'm into Lego. Hmm. I got my first real set, which was the Wildflower set for Christmas, and it was mind-blowing because I could organize all the pieces, I could put them all together, I could listen to an audiobook or watch a movie while I did it, and it was such a calming process to organize all the pieces and then work my way through and build them. And it was an activity that took long enough where I could do it over a span of a few days or like even a week, I think it took me, but it wasn't... Um, like a quick activity that I just did an hour and then I was bored. Um, and now I got more Lego for my birthday. And I think Lego is just going to be my thing now. And I can see why people love Lego so much because it's just a therapeutic process of sitting there and building something with your hands. And I've always been a fan of doing crafts, like things where I could embroider or I've done a bunch of book nooks, um, the ones that come in the sets. And I can see why people did like model planes or model trains. Because it's, there's something so nice about sitting there and looking at instructions and following them <laughs> and then building something. And at the end, you have a product that you've built like completely with your own hands. 
obviously not like the materials and stuff, but you've taken it from the materials and you have a product. And I like that. Um, Because it means that I'm actually building things. Yeah. But I'm also a bit delusional with it. Because I keep (laughs) seeing people doing bookbinding on Instagram. And I've convinced myself if I buy, you know, the wood clamps and the materials that I could do it too. So we'll see how delusional (laughs) I end up. I think I talked about this last year as well, where I'm 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 very heavily debating um, getting into making my own like spade edges or sprayed edges because it looks mm-hmm. so pretty and I have so many books and I'm I'm thinking you know if everyone else can do it and I'm not talking about like the really intricate ones because that takes real talent to do but I'm talking about like the ones that bookstores try and sell you where it's not um, personalized and it's just like painted or black or it's got like uh, stencils on it I feel like I could do those without paying an extra 40 euros for it well if you do start this definitely try and like recreate those fancy videos they do so we can see how it goes <laughs> mine will be one of those videos like today did not start off the way I thought it would <laughs> oh I can't wait um and as for the lego thing i found it fascinating recently i mean they, i'm sure it's happened over the course of a couple years or whatever but it feels like lego has suddenly recognized like oh there's a lot of girls in the world they could be an audience we could like gear towards should we start like making stuff like flowers or like things aimed at girls so i find it very fascinating to see kind of that come about and see how it's uh how it's being received so that's kind of cool uh to see that you're enjoying making these wildflowers uh from lego i do because i mean i'm not really into the star wars um the lord of the Rings stuff is really (laughs) expensive so i'm not sure if like that's in my price range unless i am treating myself but like just for a fun activity for a weekend or something i do think that having something i would actually enjoy displaying around my house Um, and having something that I would actually want to show people, but also an activity that I would like to do. And that's what's always been my problem with Lego is that I've bought Lego for other people, obviously. Um, My husband is a very big Harry Potter fan, so we've bought him tons of Harry Potter Lego. Um, And then obviously, you know, I've bought Lego for other people because they have very specific interests in um, specific models like the London vintage buses or they like specific fandoms and you can find Lego for those fandoms but I've never really seen anything that I personally would want to just you know display around my desk and so I think that's mm-hmm. where the the floral like the botanical range is so cool to me because I can actually put them in my belt my vases and put them around and I think more things should be geared towards functional but also fun because I want to display it, but I don't really want to display, you know, I don't want to say it this the wrong way. I Like, I personally would not display, like, the Death Star? The, is that what it's called? <laughs> oh, no. The Millennial Falcon? Whatever <laughs> they are. Like, the Star Wars pieces, I personally would not display them, like, just in my living but room. That's, but that's because you're not into them. If someone no, was into like, them, they, of course, would want to display it. Yeah, but, like, I just feel like... When, you, when you're a couple and you have, like, because we have limited space. And yeah. I would not just want that as, like, a decor piece. Obviously, around, like, my husband's desk area, that's all his. Like, he can put whatever he wants. But in terms of, like, mutually agreed upon decor, I wouldn't want, you know, like, very, very specific fandom stuff just everywhere. Whereas if we had pieces that could blend in a bit, 
Mm -hmm. or that could go with you know a theme or that could you know look nice I would be like I'm more open to those kind of stuff like if there's a bunch of like metal robots that I've ordered for him and I think those would look quite nice but there are just some certain like fandom things where I'm not quite sure how that would look just that's just your style and your flair it's like that you don't want that and that's fine honestly I would have no problem having Lego everywhere or just like having all of our hobby stuff everywhere but the problem is that a lot of it is like they're all different colors and they things sometimes don't match and so if you're trying to display all of it I feel like you need to have the proper display shelves so that everything can kind of like have its place in the display shelf whereas otherwise it's a bit willy-nilly and then it makes it a bit harder to be careful with things Specifically, we want to get cats because we're going to have to, because one, we do have to mount all of our shelves and stuff up against the wall properly. Yeah. But I'm just so worried about, you know, like animals getting at the Lego or accidentally knocking it over or something like that. So we'll see. It's the best when it's kind of functional or serves a purpose, but also you have the fun of building it. Yeah. And I mean, I think at some point it'd be nice to get display shelves. Yeah. So that we have a dedicated spot for all of it where it's safe and no one, nothing can break it <laughs> and it can look nice. And it's kind of just, you know, it has a place to go. But we're not at that stage yet. Like, I don't, I don't have enough Lego to start worrying about where to put it. So if we ever do get to that spot, we'll just have to get more shelves, I guess. And we'll have to get like dedicated Lego areas or more shelves and then mix it. Yeah, I love the, the mixing of stuff. I think it's really fun. If I just had more space, I could have a geek room. I would right? love to have just like a room for all, like everything, like put everything on display. Like my Avatar Last Airbender things. Yeah, that's the dream right there is to have a dedicated geek room. Frankly, that is, that's all I want. <laughs> uh, well, I've not been into Lego recently. I, I've never had Lego, so I've never really been into it. It's never been the thing that's entered my sphere. But recently, I have been playing the Hogwarts Legacy, the Harry Potter game that came out last year. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. It feels so small compared to Baldur's Gate 3, but it's still fulfilling <laughs> that really fun, like, oh, I'm a student at Hogwarts, like, you know, that vibe. And the thing I didn't realize, I don't know why I didn't think about this, but it blew my mind was that like the seasons changed. So like I finished a chapter and then it became fall and I was like, what's <gasps> happening? And now it's winter. Oh, I didn't I, know that. Yeah. And so now like when it was like the summer time or the, like the early fall, like my character wasn't wearing a robe. I just had her running around in like mm -hmm. the really basic stuff. And then when the fall came, I had her put on the robe like all the time in gloves. And now I'm like, okay, she needs a hat and a scarf. Now it's winter to keep her warm because I vibe with the aesthetics like that. So I'm having a lot of fun. I love that. I do the same thing. Even in Animal Crossing, right? if it's raining, I have to we get need, my umbrella. We need to be fitting the vibes that are happening. But I didn't realize it did that. I thought it was just like one kind of I, yeah segment I, again it makes sense in retrospect but like there's just a part of me that just assumed they wouldn't have gone through the effort of like doing that so that essentially the whole events of the game would happen within like the first few weeks of school so they didn't have to deal with that but it it adds a lot to see hogwarts castle in winter and it's like yeah this is what i want to see because that's the aesthetic one that's the one we all remember the hogwarts in winter and I know a lot of people treat Harry Potter like it's a Christmas movie because there's so many like iconic Christmas scenes throughout. 
even though it is like a whole year that goes by every school year but yeah and then i know some people who treat it purely as a halloween movie um and if that's your vibe like when mm-hmm. it comes to fall there's like jack lanterns like everywhere like it fits that halloween vibe like you really get it it's it's really fun. I'm enjoying it. Is it the best game ever? Probably not. But is it a lot of fun? Absolutely. Did you play the Harry Potter games like on the PlayStation growing up? I watched my brother play one of the Harry Potter games on the GameCube. But the game I really remember was the Game Boy uh, Color game for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And I played that one a lot. <laughs> See, I didn't play the earlier ones, but I did play... Um, The Triwizard Tournament, I played that one. And I also played Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix, not much. Like, that game was very, very boring. Because even the book, like, not much happens. So the actual game was quite boring as well. But the one thing I loved about um, Order of the Phoenix, I think, was... Or was it Half-Blood Prince? I don't know. It was one of those two. But it was... You could actually go around Hogwarts Castle and like the staircases moved and you could explore. And obviously there were limits to what graphics and stuff could do during that time and how open world it could be. But I loved in general, like I loved the exploration part of it because I'm like, I want to go explore Hogwarts Castle. And so that's what I'm excited for, for because I haven't played it yet um, because I'm currently playing Baldur's Gate. Yes. So last year, all we ever heard about from Sparrow was my favorite thing is Baldur's Gate. And this year, it's going to be me. All my favorite things are Baldur's Gate related. It's a good game. It is a good game. It's so much. You know how we talk about, you know, exploring different stories and the Enchanted Forest and bringing tales. I feel like you can you actually do that in. Right. In Baldur's Gate. And I really like the lore behind everything. I like that you can find books and then later on you're like oh my god i recognize that name where do i recognize it from and then you can go back and check your books yep i like that you can have like if you're holding a specific item you can have different interactions with people like it's just it's very fun um it's a lot of fun but in general like open world games where you can actually go explore and that have lots of depth and detail to them i think kind of scratch that itch of like reading a book or finding a story because mm-hmm. when you read a book, obviously, like, you're in your head, you're building up the story. And so I think it's just, like, a, I think they're called lit RPGs or whatever, where, like, you can, it's very geared towards, like, it's a book, but it also has lots of D&D elements to it or lots of um, role-playing elements to it. And so I think this is, like, a really good combination of everything. So, if, I mean, I feel like this is a Baldur's Gate podcast at this point. We're just going to start talking about everyone's backstories and who we like and ranking them. (laughs) I promise we're not turning this into a Baldur's Gate 3 podcast. Eventually, I'm sure we'll both get through our systems, at which point I'm sure we'll both play together whenever crossplay becomes available. In our gaming dungeon Uh, after a round of D&D. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, Too bad Harry Potter or Hogwarts Legacy isn't multiplayer. Although I guess there's no point in having that multiplayer. Um, But you're going to enjoy it whenever you get a chance to it. Let's uh, move on. So we do have a story for today. This Italian tale comes to us from the 1883 book Italian Popular Tales. The author of the book, Thomas Frederick Kane, was an American academic and lawyer who had a passion for languages, medieval history, and folklore. While he was a professor at Cornell University, He wrote and co-wrote many articles and books pertaining to folklore and cultural history. While he is not an Italian himself, 
he does seem like someone who was passionate about the subject and wanted to make these stories accessible to English speakers. Do you have anything you want to say before uh, we move into the transition? Travelers, when you listen to this story, make sure you hold on for the entire ride because it keeps, it's very up and down. So it feels like, oh, okay, this is the conclusion. Oh, wait, no. Who's this character? Wait, where are we now? It's very Studio Ghibli-esque where you start with one goal and one kind of character and then you meet so many different people and you do so many side quests that by the end of it, you're kind of just topsy-turvy. But that's what makes it so much fun because you never know what's going to happen next. When Fox first read the story, she said it sounded choppy. And I was like, no, this is just what the story is. This story just goes everywhere. (laughs) Someone looked up a list of tropes and was like, I can put all of this into one story. It's a fun ride, which is why I picked it. I got really excited when I found it a couple months ago, but it just didn't fit in our schedule until now. So I'm very excited that we get to kick off the year with this shenanigans of a tale. So travelers. Gather round, uh, prepare yourselves for a journey as we tell the tale of the crystal casket. Once upon a time, there was a young girl who lived happily with her father. The young girl never knew her mother, as in classic fairy tale fashion, the mother passed away when she was quite little. But life must go on, and eventually the young girl's father sent her to school to learn from her teacher. When the teacher discovered that the little girl had no mother, she told the young girl that she had fallen in love with the father and asked if the little girl could talk to her father about maybe she could be the new wife. (sighs) The text says that the teacher fell in love with the father, but I suspect that this is more of a gold digger situation. The teacher said this to the young girl every day until finally the young girl brought it up with her father. She told him that the schoolmistress would always ask her if he would marry her. The father was surprised by this and warned his daughter that if he took another wife, it would only be trouble for her. Nevertheless, the daughter insisted, probably because she was being gaslit by her teacher every day. Finally, he agreed to meet the schoolmistress at her home, and a few days later, after they met, they were married. But it took no time at all for the school teacher to embody the evil stepmother trope. It seems about right. I mean, you find a widowed man, and the text doesn't even mention that he's, you know, rich or well off. It's just nope. she decided that she likes him and she's going to marry him. The only thing that would make this more tropey is if she had two daughters of her own that she <laughs> would take care of and then make, you know, the little girl the Cinderella of the story. Yes, but as we see, this is not really go down quite the classic Cinderella route. As part of her new job as an evil stepmother, she made the young girl go onto the terrace to water a basil plant daily. However, this terrace wasn't the sturdiest and was very high above a large river. Falling off of it meant certain death. One day, a large eagle flew by and saw the young girl crying on the terrace. Curious, it came down and asked why she was crying. Weeping, she explained that she had to water her stepmother's basil plant, but she was afraid of falling from the high terrace. The eagle told her to get on its back, and it would take her somewhere far away where she could be happy and not have to worry about her new mother or the basil plant. Happy to get away from her stepmother, she agreed. The girl carefully climbed onto the great eagle's back, 
and the eagle flew for a long, long time before eventually coming to a great green plain with a grand palace made entirely of crystals. The eagle knocked on the door and said, Come, open the door, my ladies, for I have brought you a pretty girl. The ladies of the palace came out and were awed by how cute she was. The ladies were delighted to take care of the young girl, and she was happy to be wanted. You would think that the eagle's role in the story was now done, since it had brought the little girl to the palace where she could live happily ever after. However, this story does not end here. You see, the real reason the eagle helped the little girl was to spite the stepmother. I feel like we need backstory there. Right? Why does this eagle have a grudge with the stepmother? Or like, what shenanigans is this eagle regularly up to where he's looking for people to spite? He's just bored. Immediately at this statement, the eagle then became my favorite character, and I'm here for for whatever shenanigans it's going to get up to. Well, I read this and I was like, wait, we could do like a thousand and one nights where every single new character you introduce, you then also have to introduce their backstory or tell a different (laughs) story to explain to that character why they're important or what they're doing here and then go back to the real story like 10 stories later. But I feel like this would be a nesting doll of stories if we kept that up. All right, let's do this for this real quick. What do you think is the eagle's general backstory? Go. Uh, Eagle was a wizard. Stepmom was a witch. They had a fling back in the day and then uh, they broke up. Eagle was cursed to be in eagle form forever. And so he just lives his life looking for the stepmom wherever she is and ruining her life. And that's why she has to keep traveling around and changing her job. I love this. Yes. All right. Now we've got awesome backstory for the eagle. (laughs) Secretly a wizard. I'm here for it. And this is why he's trying to spite her thinking that she actually cares for this daughter. Um, So one day, the eagle, who we now know is secretly a wizard, flew back to the terrace to see the stepmother watering her basil plant. The eagle asked her where her stepdaughter was. The woman shrugged and said she didn't know. Perhaps the miserable little girl had fallen into the river below. The eagle was annoyed that it did not get the reaction it wanted. So the eagle told her that it had seen how she had mistreated the girl. So it brought it back to where its fairies lived, and she was doing very well. With that, the eagle took off. Enraged, the stepmother called a witch she knew in the city. She told the witch that her stepdaughter was still alive thanks to this random eagle and its fairies. The stepmother then asked the witch to kill her daughter. You see, the stepmother was afraid that the daughter would one day return, and then the father would kill her for what she had did to the daughter. But the witch reassured her that she would take care of everything. But it's only at this point in the story that the story says her name. Like before, she's a young girl, and now she's Ermelina. So just interesting to note, it's only halfway through the story we get an actual name. So I kind of feel like that might be significant, or maybe I'm overanalyzing it. Either way. We now can call her Ermelina and not the young girl anymore. Yay! Anyways, so it was about this time that the fairies were getting ready to leave for a four-day trip. They told Ermelina not to open the door for anyone and to be extra cautious as her stepmother must be up to something nefarious. She promised them she would not open the door for anyone and reassured them that her stepmother had nothing to do with her anymore. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm getting some serious anti-tiger vibes right about now. Yeah, don't open the door. Of course, she doesn't listen to our podcast, so she doesn't know what's coming. (laughs) Of course, only a short time after the fairies left, there was a knock at the door. The little girl wisely tells the knocker that she will not open the door. The knocking becomes more persistent, and eventually her curiosity becomes too much, so she peeks out of the window. She was surprised to see a servant girl from her father's estate. The servant girl explained how her father was devastated because he thought she was dead. But then the eagle told him that Ermanilla was alive and well, and she now lived with the fairies. He understood that she would want for nothing there, but he still wanted to send her a gift of sweetmeats and a letter from him. Ermelina hesitated because she wanted to keep her promise to the fairies. But as we all know, women, especially young girls, are fond of sweets. So she eventually gave in and opened the door. Fox, do you like sweetmeats? I have no idea what they are. I'm just assuming they're, they're meats that are sweet. Maybe they're a specific thing. I was just really surprised when the text was like, as everybody knows, women love sweet meats and they can't help themselves. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I couldn't help myself around sweet meats. I think sweet meats are, like, they're not meat that's sweet. I think it's a type of candy or something. Oh. Because it's like one of those, like, it's one of those things that comes up when you talk about Turkish delights and sweet meats. Uh, Let Mm. me Google it. So a sweet meat, a sweet delicacy prepared with sugar, honey, or the like as preserves, candy, or formally cakes and pastry. Oh. So it could be any sweet delicacy. See, I was just picturing like a bit of chicken with honey drizzled all, all over it. And I was like, <laughs> that doesn't sound great. But yeah, if they're offering me candy, then that is a lot better. <laughs> I think it's more of an old English way of saying things. And I know that they use it in lots of um, older books. They say sweet meats. I just assumed it meant like a specific type of sweet, but it's just a general word for them. But also, I mean, as a woman or as a girl, I guess, I could 100% deny taking candy from a stranger if they came to my door. If Snow White taught us one thing and Snow White teaches us not a lot, but you know, if Snow White taught us something, don't be kind to like your own detriment right like don't be so kind that you take things from people and trust people blindly and be naive because someone comes to your door and gives you something uh that's a scam we block scammers yeah say no to the spam call anyways so in a twist no one could foresee the servant girl was the witch in disguise i know i i was shocked too not only that but the sweet meats were poisoned. So the moment Ermelina opened the door, the witch handed her a basket and shoved a piece of sweet meat into her hand for her to eat. As soon as she took the first bite, the witch disappeared. Confused, Ermelina closed the door before collapsing on the floor. The fairies wept when they returned to find Ermelina dead. All the fairies begged the chief of fairies to bring her back to life but they refused as Ermelina was disobedient in opening the door. But the fairies continued to, to plead for the young girl, and eventually the chief agreed. The chief removed a piece of sweet meat from Ermelina's mouth, and life returned to her once more. The fairies were overjoyed to see their friend alive again, but the chief warned her not to disobey them again. 
Sometime later, the fairies had to leave once more. The chief turned to Ermelina and said, Do not open the door for anyone. Remember the first time I cured you, but the second time I will have nothing to do with you. She reassured them that she would certainly not let anyone in this time. Now it's about this time that the eagle decides it's the perfect opportunity to torment the stepmother. Literally, the text just said he wanted to increase her anger. This, this eagle is out to mess with the stepmother. But it makes sense now that we know he's secretly a wizard. We've just given him a backstory to flesh him out a bit more. I mean, I think it's adding to him a lot. I, I really appreciate it, <laughs> knowing more. Because otherwise, it's just like, what is this backstory? Why does he hate her so much that he's provoking her? I mean, to be fair, just the no motivation was also quite funny, but I do appreciate more knowing his motivation. The eagle told her that her stepdaughter was alive, and she said that the eagle must be lying. But just to be safe, she called the witch again and told her that she must kill her stepdaughter or else her ire would be turned on the witch. So the witch disguised herself as a tailor and knocked on the girl's door. Ermelina was confused at seeing a tailor at her door, but she told them that she had been deceived once and would not open the door again. Oh, looks like she's learning. The witch as a tailor pleaded with her. She said that they knew each other and she should certainly open the door for her. Unfortunately, this plea works and Ermelina lets her in. As soon as Ermelina buttoned herself into a beautiful dress, the tailor disappeared. Confused, Ermelina went upstairs, but the dress tripped her and she died falling down the stairs. When the fairies returned, they were once again devastated to find Ermelina dead. They wept and wept, for they truly loved her. But the chief reminded them that Ermelina had been warned not to let anyone in, yet she did not listen. The chief tapped their wand on her, and a beautiful ornate casket covered in diamonds and all sorts of gems formed around her. As a goodbye, the fairies made a garland of flowers and gold and placed it on the young girl before covering her with the casket lid. With a wave of the wand, the chief summoned a handsome horse and placed the casket on its back. Then the chief told the horse to go and not stop until he found someone who said to him, Stop, for pity's sake for I have lost my horse for you. With that, the horse took off at full speed. Not long after, the horse passed a prince. The prince wondered what was on the horse's back, so he rode his horse after it. However, he was so eager in his pursuit that his horse died in the process. But that didn't stop him as he kept chasing the horse on foot. Eventually, he shouted the magical words, Stop, for pity's sake, for I have lost my horse for you. Hearing this secret passphrase, the horse stopped. Where does this passphrase come from? What is the history of this passphrase? I don't know. It just seems so random and specific. I was like, this horse could have been going forever. I, I know the chief said, do not stop until someone says, you know, this, this phrase. And I guess maybe... The chief has foresight or something, and he knows the prince will say this. And so that's how the horse will know who the prince is or who the loved one is going to be. But it's just, there's something so funny about the, like, how unnatural this phrase is. So stop for pity's sake, for I have lost my horse for you. It sounds more whiny. 
No, but it's like your horse died because you were chasing a stranger. Like I'm nosy as well. Don't get me wrong. Like I will be at the window as soon as I hear any noise. I will be, you know, looking out of the peephole to see what's going on in the hallway. But there's a limit to my curiosity. And I feel like if my horse is dying in the process, although I guess it might be like a sunk cost where he's following it to such an extent that he's like, my horse is already dead. I might as well keep going. Otherwise, you've wasted all this time and a good horse for nothing. Yeah. But I just, I, there's something so funny about someone saying, for pity's sake, for I have lost my horse for you. <laughs> Maybe it's a translation issue. We don't know. This specific phrase, I just pulled from the text directly. I didn't feel like I wanted to change it because it was just so, it felt so specific. I wanted mm-hmm. to reflect that in this retelling. Um, so yeah, like this is exactly, so maybe it's translation. Maybe it sounds really nice in uh, Italian. This is just what we got. I feel like we're going to want to talk about this next statement a little bit. So hearing this past phrase, the horse stops. And when the prince saw the beautiful dead girl in the casket, he thought no more of his dead horse. And so he took the horse in the casket back to his castle. Now, to me, this is a little creepy. Yeah. The only thing you should be doing with a dead girl on a dead horse is helping lead it to a graveyard. Unless you're a necromancer. Yeah, if he's a necromancer, maybe the eagle is a necromancer (laughs) wizard. (laughs) I don't know, but you see, like, I hope, like, this is exactly what I mean by, like, Studio Ghibli. Like, the weirdest things are happening. Right. And we're just going with the punches. Like, oh, yeah, he found this dead lady. And instead of being like, oh, okay, she's dead and probably on her way to her final resting spot. He's just like, I guess she'll come with me. So the other thing I want to point out is at the start of the story, the text says it's a young girl. And I kept it that way for our retelling. But then it goes on to specify this girl is either 10 or 12 years old. And this prince is like, this is a beautiful girl. All I can hope is that there was a lot of unsaid time skips that has happened since the start of the story and right now. But like, there's some indications of passage of time, but it's like generally like days or weeks. It just hasn't really talked about months or years. So... Yeah, anyways, in this retelling, we're going to imagine she's a little older than that. Or that he's also, like, a child, so that way it's just a child with a child. And that's fine. The story does refer to him as king, and I've downgraded him to prince to keep this a bit, feeling this a little nicer as well. Sparrow, why did you pick this story? Because it's weird, right? Like, it's so... It is so... weird. It's so dicey. It's so, honestly, it's the eagle. I love the eagle so much just coming in despite randomly. I was, was kind of the main reason. Well, we've talked about this before with like the weird age gaps and because I feel like a couple of our past stories, we've had these weird age gaps. And I think the Egyptian prince was one of them um, where we just have, either we're not sure how old the love interests are in comparison to each other or we're not sure, you know, like how much time has passed. And all we can do is hope and pray that enough time has passed that this is a perfectly good, normal story. So yeah, just keep that in mind when listening. But also the other thing that makes me laugh that's kind of overshadowed by everything else is like the idea of this casket sitting on this horse's back. There's no indication that there's like anything attached to carry it. It just sounds like it's right on the back of the horse. But it's like this crystal casket covered in gems. I'm like, this is going to break the horse's back. You know what? We could just go with the route of in the fairy world, time does move differently. 
And there are lots of like recorded instances of people going into the fairy world and then coming back out. Um, for example, the Japanese story of the fisherman and the turtle princess when he goes into the underworld and he thinks, well, not underworld, but he goes underwater and he thinks that only, you know, a few weeks have passed, a few months have passed. When he comes back out, he's like 100 years old. Um, so it could be very much that kind of situation where while she was with the fairies, time moved completely differently. And so when she returns to the normal world, air quotes, um, she's a lot older, but it's not evident in the time passage the normal way. And that's, I think, going to be my headcanon, is that time works differently for fairies. Okay, here we go. We've made it okay. Fairy magic. <laughs> Messing up with things. And now it's all appropriate. <laughs> not really all appropriate. It's still weird. But we're trying to make it so that we can at least enjoy this story without being caught up in like... Right the details of like age and stuff yeah because i feel like the story is not very enjoyable if you focus too much on that kind of stuff um yeah so trying to make sense of it and trying to put it in context or trying to at least understand you know maybe where the author is coming from or honestly even like changing it up a bit because stories do change with every retelling so this is just our little addition to it yes so but getting back to the tale um the prince brings the casket back to his castle and upon his return he's greeted by his mother but she was shocked to see what he had returned with he told her that he had left to do some hunting but instead he says he had found a wife now understandably the mother was concerned with her husband having passed some time ago her son was the most powerful man in the land but yet he was referring to a woman in a casket as his new wife so she asked, was it a doll? Is it a dead woman? But the prince just told her not to worry and that it was his wife. His mother let out a panicked sort of laugh before leaving the room, probably to try and process everything that had just occurred, which is pretty understandable. Now, after this, the prince no longer went hunting or did anything else other than stay by the casket. But this didn't last too long as war was soon declared against his kingdom he knew that he would have to go and fight but before the prince left he asked his mother to assign chambermaids to take care of and guard the casket while he was away and if anything were to happen to his casket he would have the chambermaids killed his loving mother reassured him that she would take care of all of it he wept for some time before departing for war and all of his letters that he sent home after he left were all about his wife. But the mother somehow forgot about the casket, and dust began to build on it. Eventually, the mother received word the prince had won the war and would come home in a few days. She realized her mistake and quickly called the chambermaids to clean the casket and the doll's face. While cleaning her face and hands, some water spilt on the dress which left spots on it. They began to panic and quickly asked the queen for her advice. The queen told them to call a tailor to replicate the dress the doll was wearing and remove the current dress before the prince returned. Following the directions, the chambermaids began to remove the dress, and as soon as they began removing the dress, Ermelina opened her eyes. Understandably, everyone was a bit freaked out by the situation, but once the chambermaids realized she was just a normal girl, they were able to calm down. How freaky would that be? You're cleaning what you think is a doll and then it just opens its eyes. We've gone from fantasy to fairy tale 
and now to war story and now we're straight to horror honestly like these poor chambermaids like they're just so low in the totem pole here and it's like this has to happen i I hope they're getting well paid (laughs) the chambermaids helped her out of the dress and begged to know who she was Erminella explained everything that happened to her to the chambermaids and the queen. The queen also filled her in on all that had happened with the prince and how she was found. Though it was at this moment they received word of the prince's imminent arrival. The queen gave Erminella one of her best dresses to wear and then told her to stay hidden in a small room. Meanwhile, the prince made a grand entrance to the castle, complete with trumpets sounding and banners flying. But the prince ignored all of this and made a beeline to the room to see his doll. When he arrived, the chambermaids trembled and fell to their knees as they explained that the doll smelled so badly that it couldn't stay in the palace and they had no choice but to bury it. He was not interested in their excuses and immediately called for an executioner. And this brings me to the age-old question, Fox. What do you think the executioner's salary is like? Well, given that the kingdom just finished a war and they won, I'm going to guess probably not a lot. Their resources are depleted. Yeah. I just felt like a good throwback question. like <laughs> To one of our first episodes. It's also, I think, still in our trailer of like, that's one of our th- selling points as we talk about executioner salary. Well, I feel like in that case, in the Thousand and One Nights, the executioner was committing executions every day. This is true. Whereas this guy... I don't really know what the executioner is going to be doing while the prince is at war if he's also not on the battlefront. It's probably just one of the soldiers, I imagine. Yeah, so I'm assuming he was probably on like a soldier's salary. Or if the king does it himself, that's also a choice. Um, But I don't really see like the purpose of having an executioner. It's true. The executioner must have been drafted into the war. So if he was still alive, he probably had not returned to his post yet anyway. So this was probably someone they just had to sub in anyways uh his mother tried to comfort her son she told him that it was a dead woman and he must let her go but he would have none of it he told her that he would not listen to reason dead or alive she should have left it for him it was at that moment the mother realized how serious her son was about the execution so she rang a little bell and from the small hidden room stepped out not the doll but the most beautiful young girl the prince was amazed and asked his mother what is this all the women took turns explaining everything that had happened he said mother since i adored her when dead and called her my wife now i mean her to be my wife in truth the mother gave her blessing and they married a few days later and that is the story of the crystal casket it had a very strong start, I will say. Strong start to the year? Very, well, it was, the beginning was quite strong. I think as the story went on, it became a bit more and more depraved in some ways. I, I mean, I guess I don't like this prince. I think the mom is weird. I think the prince is weird. I think the situation where you find a dead woman, and I mean, okay, in Snow White, at least he just, you know, gives her a kiss and he, that's kind of it even though that's weird um and i remember one of the other stories we did was it princess aubergine where he has like a full-on kid with the sleeping maiden like all of this stuff is weird but 
out of all of them, including the original Sleeping Beauty. I think this is weirder because he's locked himself up away with this doll, like, well, this dead girl who's by, you know, for all intents and purposes, she is dead. Yes. Um, he locks himself away with her for ages, calls him, calls her his wife, is deluded into thinking that, you know, that she's actually his wife to the point that he goes and fights a war and then comes back and then still wants to see this his doll wife. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point in time, if I was a peasant or anyone else working in the castle, I would definitely be planning an assassination. Or at the very least, you know, making some kind of plea to the queen that her son is actually insane and that it's time, you know, for a new ruler to take over. I was kind of hoping that he would lose this war, to be honest. It's very weird. I mean, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be romantic, if this is supposed to be um, a story where we're rooting for the love interest, but I'm actively rooting against this marriage. It's, it's, it's weird. So with that, this is, this is my hot take. I think the mother actually rocks. And here's why. I think based on her actions, one, she's more like us. She's kind of weirded out by the fact that he is like, this is going to be your wife, this doll. So the mother is more realistic. So she does forget to like take care of it. That is definitely on her. But like based on her reactions of like the moment she wakes up, she does not shame her. She does not kind of get after her or like get mad at her. She like fills her in on what's happening. And the moment the prince comes back, she gives her a different dress and then she hides her. So the way I'm interpreting this is that I think the mother is trying to give Ermanilla an out. Like, I think she's trying to see, as long as they can avoid bloodshed, if she can give Ermanilla a way out of this situation where she isn't forced into this. But once she realizes, like, there's going to be bloodshed, like, she can't, she's, like, has to bring her in um, and kind of go from there. But that's my opinion, is that I think she's trying to help her, but doesn't have like a lot of power to do so so that's my hot take i guess i mean i find it very weird that at no point the mother decided while the son was at um was off at war to maybe bury the the dead woman or at least check to see if it was actually a dead woman or a doll it feels like this is something you should uh follow up on you know even if she had done it herself like this was going to be the resulting action like he was either heads were gonna roll or she was going to be trapped and stay there. And as far as she knew, it was dead. And it was like, she probably should have followed up. But like, I don't think the outcome would have changed whether she'd done it earlier or later. Yeah, I mean, I think my only favorite character is the eagle, who is spiteful for no reason. Which is how I uh, want to live my life. You know, coming down, rescuing people, not because I'm a good person, but because I want to be spiteful to someone else. That's 100% a joke. But anyway, I mean... We do like to find interesting stories that, you know, don't get covered or that don't really get talked about. And I think this is one of those stories where I would not believe this is a real story if someone tried to retell it to me. (laughs) Yeah. So it is interesting to know that this was a story that was, you know, told and that's written and that people read with their own eyes. I will also call out that um, we often talk about in stories like the way people are called uh usually it's either just the young girl the maiden um sometimes they're given a name it's it's random but i found it just it was just very fascinating to see that she the same girl had essentially been referred to by three different ways throughout the story act one was young girl she had a name in the second act and then the third act she was just the doll 
Um, and I found that very fascinating as they were consistent with those naming conventions throughout. But I don't see that in other stories. Yeah, and I mean, I think I do. It is interesting that she goes through three different transformations, I guess, where she's a little girl and she's in reference to her father and then her stepmother. And then she becomes, um, you know, she's given a name and she's referred to by her name with the fairies. And I think that's kind of, I guess, the highlight of her life because then she goes on to marry a madman. Um, But I do think, (laughs) you know what, you are right. Like, I feel like the mother... I feel like as a woman, she's probably also powerless to do much against the crazy king. And we see it in history quite a lot where women or the queens or the princesses, they kind of have to go along with what their husbands want. Um, even if they know that they're crazy or if they know that what they're doing is wrong because they don't really have the agency to do more. So I can see the queen, you know, thinking this is the weirdest thing. She's like, she's like, my son has gone crazy. But there's not much she can do. And I can appreciate the fact that, okay, maybe she, it does seem like she was trying to protect the girl mm-hmm. by at least hiding her. Because there's nothing really to be gained from hiding her if she's going to give her to the prince anyway. But I feel like hiding her at first kind of does give that vibe. As, as you said, like maybe she was protecting her. And then when she realized that the king was actually going to start killing people, that she'd have to just deal with it. So at least we know that we have the queen on her side. Yeah. Like, it's definitely weird. Maybe, maybe, like, as an alternate ending, like, after this, the our epilogue is that somehow, like, an accident happens. Whoops, the king is dead. And now this, <laughs> this queen and her now daughter-in-law, who are really close, are like, yeah, we're just going to rule this kingdom and rule it right. And maybe that's how it goes. <laughs> Like, I really want to be on someone's side, and I think still, I'm going to have to leave with the closing thoughts of the only good guy here is not so good, and it's not a guy, and it's the eagle. The eagle, who was once a wizard, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the story. I always try and find a kooky story to start off the new year, and I hope you, dear travelers, enjoyed it too. Let us know if there's any stories you want us to cover in the future, but for now, I think that's it. As always, travelers, if you want to see the show summary, any notes, and where we got our sources from, please check out our website, www.talesmechantforest.com. If you do want to hear more from us, then we are all over social media. We are on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram, at From Enchanted. We are also on Macedon, Blue Sky, and literally everywhere else, including TikTok, Instagram, um, there's one more, YouTube. Basically, type in our name and you'll find us. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions. So if you have anything to share or anything to add about this kooky story, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, please give us a review on any platform you use to listen to your podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Enchanted Forest.